Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited to be back with you again. Well, today we're going to be playing the second part of our Q&A with Dr. Craig Blomberg. You can get the first part of this Q&A at GodSolutionShow.com. It aired last week, so just go under the Past Shows tab at GodSolutionShow.com, and you'll find it there. You'll also find numerous other interviews we've done with Dr. Blomberg in the past, as well as many, many other interviews with other apologists and other shows on topics like these. So definitely go to GodSolutionShow.com, past shows, to get last week's first part of this Q&A and many other MP3s as well. And I'm excited that you're tuned back in for this week's second Q&A with Dr. Craig Blomberg. Dr. Craig Blomberg is known throughout the world as one of the foremost experts on the New Testament. He's an incredible New Testament scholar at Denver Theological Seminary, and he's written numerous books that are absolute masterpieces. I hope that you'll check those out at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Without any further ado, let's get to the second part of our Q&A with Dr. Craig Blomberg. Um, so say that you're in conversation, and uh, this question says, A Judaizer told me that the New Testament was first written in Hebrew, not in Greek. Is that true? Who told me that? Uh, a Judaizer, a, a man of Jewish background, perhaps. Oh, a Jew. Okay. Um, yeah, because the word Judaizer is a term that Paul coined in uh, the letter to the Galatians to refer to people uh, who were coming uh, into town saying you had to follow the law in order to be saved. Now, maybe that's what the question means. Uh, but certainly there are, are a lot of people uh, who wouldn't agree to that, uh, who asked the question about uh, Hebrew or, or Aramaic backgrounds. It's a, it's a fascinating question. We have uh, ancient testimony from several Christians in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century that Matthew wrote something the term that is used a couple of times is a word that normally means sayings. Matthew wrote the sayings of Jesus in a Hebrew dialect language. Could be Hebrew, could be Aramaic. It makes all the sense of the world since uh, he appears to be addressed and a little early testimony we have suggests that he's writing primarily to Jewish believers. We've never found such a document. There are medieval documents of the Gospel of Matthew Hebrew, um, but most of them appear to be translations from the Greek back into the Hebrew. Um, beyond the Gospel of Matthew, there are no ancient traditions to suggest that any book was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic. And I suppose the only other ones that would even make sense to make such a 
proposal about would be the uh, letters of Hebrews and James because uh, all the other books are written to Christian communities outside of Israel. And uh, Aramaic was spoken only among Jewish Christians within Israel. And Hebrew was not really spoken by very many people in the rest of the Roman Empire, even if they were of Jewish descent. Um, they spoke on where they lived, either Greek or Latin. Um, they may have had enough training to be able to understand um, some spoken Hebrew if on occasion biblical texts were read from the Hebrew. But the majority of evidence that we have suggests that uh, outside of Israel, people read what was called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, even Jewish circles. Um, so there is a, it's a sort of a mystical fascination in some circles. Wouldn't it be cool if uh, some of this stuff was originally in Hebrew? Um, why? Isn't it cool enough that it's in Greek? <laughs> and Greek's easier to learn. Um, uh, if you want to know a little Greek and not just the guy that runs the restaurant at the corner store. Um, uh, so I almost wonder if sometimes it's prompted by the desire to be able to gain more special insight into nuances of meaning as if what we have isn't good enough. Well, how are you doing obeying everything that we have? You know, it's kind of like setting dates for the end times. Um, if you've got everything that's clear in the Bible figured out and are obeying it, really, really well, then maybe you have the luxury to start studying end time stuff. <laughs> um, maybe you can start flirting with ancient Hebrew documents, but there really is no actual evidence for it. And that will disappoint those people, I'm afraid. <laughs> So we, we have a few more about the canon of scripture, and this one's pretty specific. Uh, someone in the audience says, I have a Bible from 1768 in Old English, and it has the five books that the Christian Bible or today's Bibles doesn't have. How reliable are these books, and should we read them? Five books? What books are we talking about? I'm assuming it was the uh, the books included in the King James, um, the it's the Apocrypha that we're talking about. Well, there are uh, a dozen or so books that are in the uh, Old Testament Apocrypha, so I have no idea why uh, the questioner said five. Um, maybe just saw five of the big ones. I don't know. Um, and this has nothing whatsoever to do with the, the fact that this person has a 1768 edition of the Bible. When the King James Bible was first published in 1611, 
there were uh, editions that were published that included the Old Testament Apocrypha, and there were editions that were published that didn't. Um, the uh, purpose of the Bible was to be a Bible for all people, um, not just for Protestants. And so the apocryphal books are books that uh, Roman Catholicism has historically included within the Old Testament. Um, and uh, Protestants have not. And the simplest, shortest answer as to why is because uh, no Jews ever put them in the Hebrew scriptures. And the Reformation said, let's go back to the uh, Bible of Jesus, the Jew, the Bible of his first followers who were called Jewish, and therefore uh, not include the Apocrypha. But even Martin Luther, and we just celebrated last October the 500th anniversary of uh, the events that are often seen as triggering the Protestant Reformation. Even Martin Luther said, you want to read the Apocrypha, that's fine. You want to read it in church, that's fine. Just don't quote it as inspired Holy Spirit. Um, so you can find, uh, in 1768 and in 1868, and, uh, if you look hard enough in 1968, um, editions of the King James Bible and other translations of the Bible that have included the Apocrypha and many that haven't. More glazed over look. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can get more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we have a little bit about the discussion of what books have been added to the Bible or uh, just um, this one says, what are the two most dominant arguments bringing doubt to what is canon? And what are the best responses to these arguments? The two... Strongest arguments bringing doubt, doubt to what is the to canon today. The canon. I don't know that there are any strong arguments. <laughs> um, certainly in today's world, the debates tend not to be. Yeah, you still find some Catholics and Protestants talking about the Apocrypha, but many, many Catholics will refer to these as deuterocanonical, a second tier of a canon. And it's not the inflammatory issue that it once was. Pockets of places where it is. In the New Testament, uh, most of the really exotic, lively discussion is about Gnostic texts, books that came from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century that were produced by a uh, unorthodox sect or branch of Christianity that had imbibed various Greek philosophical influences. Um, one of the most foundational was that the material world, by definition, is evil, and therefore uh, one certainly should hope for a resurrected body. Um, that would be carrying something evil with you for all eternity. Um, but only immortality is soul, and that everyone had the spark of divinity. Uh, 
waiting, lurking deep inside of them, waiting just to be kindled into flame. It, it sort of appeals to people who want to create their own religion. Um, and so I suppose that, I don't know if they're the most difficult questions, but uh, I say I don't know that there are any really difficult questions, but the most common that you hear uh, surround the uh, some of these Gnostic and then, what year was it that the Da Vinci Code came out? About 2003 or thereabouts? Dan Brown did something that nobody else in the history of Christianity has ever been able to do. He wrote a completely fictitious novel, making up all kinds of fake news before that was a, a thing. And now there are people teaching it as fact in university, and I've met them, because our research is so sloppy that we don't go beyond reading a novel written 15 years ago, and we think there were 70 or 80 other Gospels competing for acceptance in the canon. There weren't. Maybe a half a dozen, but not competing for acceptance. The Gnostics themselves never even put them forward as on a par with the New Testament. Everybody who is saying that today has made it up in the last 50 years, and a lot of it in the last 15 years. But golly, if it's on the internet and it fits what we are predisposed to want to believe, Christians take note. So, I had a woman a few years ago in my Sunday school class who was spreading the word to everybody in the church that Great Britain had now banned the teaching of Orthodox Christianity in all its required religion classes in their public schools. I have a daughter who's a permanent resident of the UK. My grandson is being brought up British. I'm learning to cope. married a Brit. What can I do? Um, they're wonderful people. I thought, this is ludicrous. But I gave a quick email to make sure, and it was ludicrous. And the woman said, well, I read it on a website. <laughs> um, what was the question? <laughs> no, no, there there really aren't any hard questions about the canon. Hmm. One one that got asked are, what are some books that were considered, but they didn't make it into the Bible? There is a body of literature, and you can find it by Googling the Apostolic Fathers. I've never quite understood why they call them that. I think they should have called them the Apostolic Sons. But uh, these are sect century writers who wrote pretty much completely orthodox works, most of them letters to other second century churches, um, a man by the name of Ignatius, who lived at the very beginning of the second century, wrote a number of these, um, a man who was said to have been a disciple of the Apostle John. 
um, who lived to quite an old age and was martyred in his 80s, early in the second century by the name of Polycarp. Uh, There is uh, a letter written by an anonymous Christian, but it was attributed to somebody named Barnabas and maybe It was somebody named Barnabas, named after the Barnabas of the New Testament. There is a book that is simply called The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Um, You may hear it called Didache, spelled D-I-D-A-C-H-E, which is the Greek word for teaching. That sort of gives a, a manual on church order at the beginning of the second century. Um how to do baptisms, how to do the Lord's Supper, how to recognize a true prophet from a false prophet. My favorite verse in the whole document is, if a visiting prophet comes to town, welcome him, take him into your home. If he stays longer than three days, he's a false prophet. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, there are, uh, there's a book that's simply called The Shepherd, of Hermas, a man named Hermas, who has some some beautiful parables, has some beautiful visions. These are all second century books. um, And if you look at the approximately 40 lists of books that have been preserved from second through fifth centuries of what should be treated as uh, inspired and part of the New Covenant Revelation, you will get uh, one or two of these in as many as four of the 40 lists. You'll get a couple more in two of them. You'll get a couple more in one of them. And you'll get another 36 lists that say nothing about any of them. And you will not get the Gnostic texts anywhere so sometimes in conversation with skeptics or uh, non-believers they might bring up uh, typos or missing words that um, happened or variants Uh, maybe some of the things that are in the footnotes of our bibles today Um, are those problematic or what's the story behind those that's that's the nice thing about having uh, more than 5800 Greek manuscripts and another 20,000 in other ancient languages that the Bible is translated into. Um, I I like the way Dan Wallace at Dallas Seminary uh, puts it, um, not so much in his writings uh, because he knows they're going to be peer-reviewed, but when he's talking to to Christian audiences um, with a little bit of exaggeration, he'll, he'll hold up a Bible and he'll say, we have the original New Testament. And people are going, oh, wait, wait, what are you talking about? And then he'll say, we just don't always know if it's in the text or in the footnotes. (laughs) Well, even that's a little bit exaggerated Mm -hmm. because there are a lot more footnotes in the Greek editions of the Bible than there are in the English ones of, of very trivial differences. But uh, the way somebody can uh, answer that question, 
for themselves, if they're willing to take the time, is give them a good modern English translation that has a lot of footnotes. And if they're doing it all online, make sure they know where to click to find the footnotes. Hmm. And read through them. And decide for yourself. Oh, yeah, there are the two big ones. And there's only two like them. There's the longer ending of Mark. And there's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8 is probably true. Even Bart Ehrman believes that. But it probably just wasn't in what John originally wrote. The longer ending of Mark, I'm glad it wasn't in what Mark originally wrote. It tells me I can pick up snakes and drink their venom and not be harmed. And it's still legal in West Virginia to have snake handling cults, and they still exist, and every one of them sooner or later has fatalities. I don't want any part of that. <laughs> yeah. But okay. there is no doctrine, no ethical practice, unless you want to call snake handling <laughs> one of them that depends on any text anywhere that has an interesting textual variant. So sure, I can acknowledge that in a heartbeat to my uh, unbelieving friend and say, the Bible is still vastly better preserved than any other book from the ancient world that we know of. Mm -hmm. uh, so to conclude, we have, I think, about a minute um, can you just share some of your latest uh, research or writings um, just just to show like if people wanted to look into uh, further what you've been working on, um, what, what can they look into? The very most recent book that I have published, um, and it's not like journalists who have something new every day um, or even every month, came out at the end of twenty. 16. I'm, I'm still not used to the fact that we're in 2018. Um, <laughs> I was all set to say, well, never mind. I only have one minute. It's called The Historical Reliability of the New Testament. It combines some stuff I've done before with lots of new material. And it's really big and fat, but not that expensive as paperbacks go. Don't be intimidated by the size. They used a big font, but a lot of white space, and the paper is really thick. Um, it could have been crammed into a book half the size and probably sell better. But uh, the next thing I'm coming out with, hopefully by this year in November, is a theology of New Testament with Baylor. For all my friends who have said, you've spent so much of your career um, defending the reliability of the New Testament. When are you going to tell us what it actually teaches and how to think about it? I heard you, Mike White, and this book you. Great. So with that, I just want to thank you again personally for uh, taking the time uh, to be with us virtually and answer our specific questions. Well, thanks for you guys doing... Uh, something on a Saturday morning most of the world wouldn't think of doing. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you, and we're going to transition.
Well, I hope you enjoyed the second part of our Q&A with Dr. Craig Blomberg. You can get this and all of our past shows, including numerous interviews with Dr. Blomberg, at godsolutionshow.com under the Past Shows tab. I encourage you to go to the Denver Theological Seminary website and search for Dr. Blomberg to find out more about Dr. Blomberg. And I would also encourage you to pick up his books. He's written somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or 50 books. That is not a joke, so he has a lot out there. Pick some of it up. Two that I could recommend are Can We Still Believe the Bible? It was released three or four years ago. Can We Still Believe the Bible by Craig Blomberg. And also, more recently, The Historical Reliability of the New Testament, also by Craig Blomberg. Pick those up. I'm sure you'll love them. Well, like Dr. Blomberg said, the evidence for the Bible is absolutely overwhelming. And I want to recap that a little bit before we close out the show. In our Best Facts resource, we give Christians an incredible acronym to be able to remember a coherent defense of their faith. And the second part of that acronym is the FACTS acronym, which provides arguments for the reasons that we should believe the Bible. I want to recap that right now since we're on the topic of the reliability of the Bible. The FACTS acronym kind of goes like this, and this is such a great acronym to memorize. You can go to thebestfacts.com or go to Amazon and search for The Best Facts and buy the book. Either way, I encourage you to memorize these acronyms. So the FACTS acronym goes like this. F, the Bible foretells the future. A, the Bible is archaeologically accurate. C, the Bible is coherent. T, the Bible is translated correctly. And S, there is science in the Bible that shows God's fingerprints on his word. All these things show us the reliability and the truthfulness of the Bible. Let's go back to that. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to keep this short. The Bible has hundreds of prophecies. Some would say over a thousand prophecies. In fact, there are over a hundred about Jesus alone, including a prophecy in Daniel that prophesied the exact time that Jesus would come and be crucified and die for our sins. So many other prophecies about Jesus were absolutely clear and they could not have been fabricated. And we have the manuscripts that predate Jesus, so these weren't written down after the fact. It's overwhelmingly conclusive that this was prophetic material about the Messiah that was to come. And for the Bible to be prophetic in nature shows us that it has God's fingerprints on it, because who else could know the future but God himself? And in fact, prophecies, accurate prophecies, show us that there is a supernatural reality beyond the natural world. The Bible alone is prophetically accurate of all the religious texts. It's also archaeologically accurate, and this is absolutely exciting. You know, the Bible tells us about real people, real places, real events, and we can look at the evidence for those in the archaeological record. I've talked to some incredible people about that in the past, so definitely go to our past shows at godsolutionshow.com to check out some of those interviews. But this is ongoing, guys. They just found Isaiah's bullet, Isaiah's signature. This kind of stuff is ongoing. Right now, a friend of ours is excavating the biblical site of Sodom. I mean, the archaeological discoveries are ongoing, and it provides incredible evidence for God's word. Now, the Bible is also coherent. Even though it was written over 1,500 years by many different people of many different social standings of different languages, the Bible is coherent, and the authors agree about matters of truth and 
salvation, and things like that. The Bible is also translated correctly. The argument that you can't know what was originally written because it's been translated so many times absolutely falls apart when you realize there are thousands and thousands of manuscripts in the Greek and Hebrew, and we can go back to those to see what was written. Finally, the Bible has science throughout it, whether it's radioactive decay or entropy or the beginning of the universe or the beginning of the universe with light. And you can go on and on and on about these things, the expansion of the universe. It's incredible. Things that it took science millennia to discover. And I'm not disparaging science. I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry. I love science. But at the same time, the Bible told us many of these things 2,000 plus years ago. And that shows God's fingerprints on his word. The Bible's true and you can trust it. If you've never taken that step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, why not do that right now? Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Today I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. The Bible says that if you took that step today, you're his child and you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose with him here on this earth. If you already have a relationship with Christ, I encourage you to share your faith and the evidence for it with your friends. Definitely go to GodSolutionShow.com to get all of our past shows and let your friends know about the God Solution. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.